0: Well, this morning we will be reflecting on Psalm 46, which is probably a psalm that most of you will readily recognise. And in fact, the title of today's sermon is from verse 10 of Psalm 46, which is, Be still and know that I am God. I thought that as we enter into uh, 2020, it would be an opportune time to go back to the basics of our faith and to remind ourselves that our God is a mighty God. He is unchanging and he is the one constant that we can rely on. Psalm 46 describes several aspects of God's character that are encouraging to us as Christians. God is our refuge and strength. God is ever-present. He is an ever-present help when we encounter trouble. And twice In Psalm 46, it tells us that the Lord is almighty. And not only is he almighty, but he is with us. He is our fortress. And Psalm 46 also talks about the greatness of God, what he has done, what he can do, and what he will do. Now, it's quite common for us to take a verse like, be still and know that I am God, and focus on our own actions. And as we know in modern times, we live very busy lives. And yes, we should be setting time aside, stopping everything that we're doing and spending quality time with God in prayer and in his word. And and that's a great message, isn't it? Be still and know that he is God. But what we find as we look a little bit deeper into Psalm 46 and the circumstances behind it, is that it is more about who God is and how he rescues his people. Our God is a mighty God. We can turn to him and rely on him when we encounter tough times. And it doesn't matter what comes our way, no matter how much our world changes around us or how crazy things get. God is greater than anything we know. He is always there and he is with us. And this is a great encouragement to us as Christians. So let's pray and then we will open the word. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we pray that you do indeed speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that you guide me as I, um, as I bring this message to us. Lord, I pray that you help me to not put people to sleep. But Lord, just, just open up your word to us so that it can speak to us personally. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 46. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Elamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now it's um, commonly believed that Psalm 46 was written during the time of Hezekiah following a serious attack on Jerusalem. And as we explore these events It gives us some context and some background and a real life example of what Psalm 46 is all about. Now I've put up on the projector scriptures where we can find the full account of King Hezekiah but I'll just summarise these for you this morning. Hezekiah was one of the few kings of Judah that the Bible describes as good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. He became king when he was 25 and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. And it was uh, during this time that the prophets Isaiah and and Micah were around. And of course we heard from uh, Micah in last week's sermon. Hezekiah's father was King Ahaz. Now he was a king who didn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, King Ahaz made idols, and he worshipped foreign gods, and he made sacrifices to them. He even closed up the temple. And another thing that he did was that he set up altars throughout Jerusalem and Judah, and these altars were dedicated to other gods. Then along came Hezekiah, and he is described in 2 Kings chapter 18 as a king who trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. So he, he was quite different uh, to his father. In fact, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, and he did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands that the Lord had given to Moses. So in vast contrast to his father, King Hezekiah was an extremely faithful servant to the Lord. And in fact, he went a long way to reverse some of the harm that his father had done. When Hezekiah became king, he proceeded to clean house. Pagan altars and idols and temples were destroyed. He destroyed the the bronze serpent that Moses had made. And he did this because the people had turned it into an idol. So he said, that's right, that's it, that's out of here. He cleaned out and he reopened the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, The doors of the temple were nailed shut by King Ahaz. And at the same time, the Levitical priesthood was reinstated, so the Levite priests were again serving the people of Jerusalem and Judah. And another thing he did was he made sure that the Passover was once again celebrated, so he reinstituted the Passover. So what we see is that Hezekiah was not just a man who was loyal to God in his faith, but as king, he lived out that faith in practical terms, in the actions that he undertook. King Hezekiah put God first in everything that he did, and the Lord was with him. 2 Kings 18 goes on to tell us that the Lord was with him, and he was successful in everything that he undertook. So because of his faith and the reforms that he undertook King Hezekiah and Judah experienced a period of success a period of prosperity and something of a revival in the Lord. However despite all of this all of his godly qualities all of his godly actions things didn't remain rosy and cosy. Trouble arrived. And trouble came to both King Hezekiah and to Judah. And it came in the form of the Assyrians and their king, King Sennacherib. You know, usually around this time of year, we reflect on things and the lessons from our past. And we look forward to the new year. Usually our hope is for good things to come our way in the coming year and beyond. We are hoping for success, for prosperity and for peace, no conflict and no stress in our life. And at the very least, we hope that things will be better in this year than what they have been in the past 12 months. But what the Word of God teaches us through the example of Hezekiah and through scriptures like Psalm 46, is that true peace comes from God. It is based on who God is, and what he can do instead of our own endeavours and the circumstances that come our way. We will always encounter troubles, and we know this. But God is bigger than our troubles. Hezekiah, as faithful as he was to God, still faced trouble, and he was under tremendous stress. So what happened to King Hezekiah and Judah? Well, it was about 14 years into King Hezekiah's reign when all of Judah faced a crisis. Assyria, who were the dominant nation of the day, they were like the big boys, they invaded Judah and they were marching on to Jerusalem. You see, the Assyrians were conquerors and they were having a great run of success at this. They had already conquered and exiled Israel by this time So Israel, who was uh, Judah's closest ally and neighbour, they were gone. They had also conquered many other nations, the Egyptians and the Cushites. Both of those nations had fled from before the Assyrians. So in 701 BC, the Assyrians launched their campaign against Judah. They conquered Judah's fortified cities and forts and besieged their capital, Jerusalem. Now while researching these events, I came across this report which was written by King Sennacherib himself, and this is his account of what took place. And we must remember these are the words from the king of Assyria. As for Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. I laid siege against 46 of Hezekiah's strong cities, walled forts, and to countless small villages, and conquered them by means of well-stamped earth ramps and battering rams brought near to the walls, combined with the attack by foot soldiers, using mines, breaches, as well as sapper work. I drove out 200,150 people, young and old, male and female, horses, mules, donkeys, camels, big and small, cattle beyond counting, and considered them booty. Himself, talking of Hezekiah, himself I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. So things were looking pretty grim. The all-conquering Assyrians had overrun Judah and had besieged Jerusalem, effectively turning the city into a prison. And on top of that, King Sennacherib's field commander stood before all of Jerusalem and he he heaped scorn upon them, and particularly upon King Hezekiah's ability to deliver them from what was happening. He stood there before Jerusalem's wall and publicly defied the God of Judah, likening him to the powerless gods of nations that had already been conquered. This is from... uh, 2 Kings chapter 18 as well, verses 28 to 31. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of, of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. So this would have been very intimidating but all of Jerusalem remained silent before the Assyrian field commander. Then king Hezekiah did what we should all do when we face trouble. He humbled himself and he sought the Lord. He sent word to the prophet Isaiah, and the Lord through Isaiah reassured King Hezekiah that Assyria would not enter into Jerusalem. Rather, they would be sent home, and the city of Jerusalem would be spared. Now, if I was standing in Hezekiah's sandals at that time, I think I would have had a hard time believing that. I mean, look at the circumstances that he was facing. I'm sure there would have been a sense of dread, helplessness and doom. I mean, these guys had cleaned out everyone else, their threats and boasts. They weren't idle threats and boasts. They could and would deliver on what they promised. And it appeared that it was only a matter of time for Hezekiah and the citizens of Jerusalem. It would take a miracle to survive this disaster but that's what happened. God intervened against all the odds Jerusalem was delivered from Assyria. God kept his promise to protect Jerusalem. That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And the remaining Assyrians broke camp and withdrew in defeat. 2 Chronicles 32 records this. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And not only that, but from the hand of all others, he took care of them on every side. So that's quite an amazing account of how God rescued Hezekiah and Jerusalem from some serious trouble that they were engulfed in. And by the way, when King Sennacherib recorded his invasion of Judah and the siege of Jerusalem, he failed to mention the, the final outcome. So let's come back to Psalm 46. What can we take away from all of this? Well, first of all, God is our refuge and our fortress. And we come across those descriptions in verses 1, and verse 7 and verse 11 of Psalm 46. As we know, a refuge is a place that provides safety and shelter. I mean, we see refugees on the news, don't we? And they are usually people who are fleeing away from danger. And they are seeking a place where they can find safety. And usually their situation is really quite desperate. Other examples of a refuge are places like embassies on spy movies, And to make things a bit more local, places like Women's Refuge, which is a safe place that women and their families can go to to be away and to be safe from domestic violence. Now the description of a fortress, it's, it's a similar sort of description, but it's slightly different. A fortress is a military stronghold that offers protection from outside influences, usually in the form of some sort of military action. So a refuge is a safe place which is free of danger and a stronghold is a safe place that protects us from danger. And these are two of the descriptions given to our God. God is our safe place and he will protect us. He is our refuge and he is our fortress. Therefore it makes sense that God is where we go to when we are in trouble. Verse 1 states that he is our ever-present help in trouble. Now the word trouble in this case is not just a little bit of trouble. It means that you are in a situation where there is no way out. You're backed into a corner. And verse 2 goes on to clarify this when the psalmist declares... That because God is our ever present help in times of trouble, we will not fear. What is it that we will not fear? We will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now, that's some pretty powerful imagery going on there. It's like the whole world is collapsing. And I'm sure that's how Hezekiah would have felt. When things go horribly wrong for us, that is probably how it feels for us too. Everything is falling apart. Where do you go to? Go to the Lord. He is the safe place. Now the psalmist proclaims this based on Hezekiah and Jerusalem's real life experience. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And God, the God of Jacob, is our fortress. Now as we read on in Psalm 46, there are three things that add to this picture of God being our refuge and our stronghold. Uh, Psalm 46 talks about God being almighty, and we learn that God is not just almighty, but he is also with us. And there's also a reference to a river, and we will look briefly at these three points. First of all, let's look at the references of how great God is. Twice in Psalm 46, God is called the Lord Almighty. Uh, We find that in verses 7 and 11. And both times, this is supported by the fact that the God of Jacob is our fortress. So, fortress again being a reference to God's strength. In some versions of scripture, the phrase the Lord Almighty is translated as the Lord of Hosts, which literally means the Lord of many armies. And this is a common reference to God that we find dotted throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. And it is descriptive of how powerful God is. He is the Lord of many armies. But this reference of God's might goes further than just a military-type understanding of God's power. God also created the earth and the heavens and that also talks to us about how powerful and how mighty God is. Hannah also uses the name of God, the Lord of hosts, but in a completely different situation. She is another biblical example of someone who faced trouble. She recognised how powerful God is and how he could be her refuge and fortress in her situation. In her case, she was not able to have a child and there was some um, pretty major implications of this to her. Hannah came to God, presented her case and then she made a vow to God. And these are Hannah's words from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, Lord Almighty, if you will indeed Look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant but will give your maidservant a male child then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Now as you will remember at this point Hannah had no idea if God was going to answer her prayer or not. Her peace came in the fact that she came to God who was her refuge and she put into his hands her affliction. As you will remember, she came to God in her bitterness and tears. She knew that God was almighty and that the Lord of hosts was more than capable of answering her prayer but not in a powerful military type way rather in a powerful creative way. She was the woman who was barren and then She was with child. Now there's also other references to God's might and power further on in Psalm 46. Uh, Verse 6 says, Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. And then in verses 8 through to 10, Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth, He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God is almighty and he is more powerful than our troubles and our problems. That is why we can rely on him and should seek refuge and protection in him. But not only is God Almighty, He is also with His people. We've just done a sermon series on Deuteronomy where we focused on how God wants to be with His people. He wants to be amongst His people. And Israel were God's people, and God dwelt among them. King Hezekiah knew this, and he knew the importance of God dwelling amongst His people. That is why he brought about change. And I think the outcome would have been quite different if he had followed in the footsteps of his father King Ahaz. Uh, We've also just celebrated Christmas and one of the names of Christ which is spoken a lot at this time is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And this is a title that is given to Christ. It describes Jesus as God who has become human. Christ is now with the people and he is able to save them as the prophets foretold. Matthew explains this to us in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. And this um, scripture is referring to Joseph, the father of Jesus. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, talking about Isaiah, in Isaiah uh, chapter 7 verse 14. Uh, The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we see at the beginning of his book, Matthew tells us that God is with us. And Matthew also tells us at the end of his book how Christ will be with us forever when Jesus gives us the Great Commission. And you'll know this scripture fairly well from Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. And it's about the Great Commission, but that's not what we're really focusing on here. Uh Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is with us as we serve him. And also God is our ever-present help in trouble because not just because he is almighty but because he is with us the God almighty is with us, he is near us and because of this he is our refuge, our strength and a mighty fortress now to finish off we're going to take a look, there's a picture in in Psalm 46 of a river and we find this in Psalm 46 verse 4 there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the most high dwells. Now there is an interesting thing about Jerusalem and it's unlike many other cities Jerusalem didn't actually have a river. As we know a good source a good clean source of water is vital for a city's existence and for its survival. And as you can imagine, this is particularly important in times of war and in times of siege. Amongst King Hezekiah's other accomplishments, one that stands out is an engineering feat which is known as Hezekiah's Tunnel. Now this is a subterranean tunnel tunnel, which is approximately 534 metres long and it was cut into the bedrock. And the amazing thing was how they accomplished this there were two teams who dug the tunnel, digging from each end, so they're about 500-odd metres apart, and with no modern engineering equipment, they met somewhere in the middle. And experts have estimated that it would have taken somewhere between nine months and four years to complete this tunnel. And the fall over the entire length was about 12 inches, so it was about 30 centimetres. And this tunnel, what it did was it brought in water from the Gihon Spring not sure if I pronounced it pr- correctly, the Gihon Spring which was outside the city now the Gihon Spring was well fortified in Hezekiah's time so it was protected, the water came through the tunnel and collected in the pool of Siloam which was within the city and the pool of Siloam was also protected, it was protected by the broad, broad wall which Hezekiah also built so this tunnel brought much-needed water into the city and protected its continued flow, especially in times of war and siege. So Hezekiah would have built this tunnel in preparation for times of trouble, such as the Assyrian invasion. Now there's a, um, there's a very interesting video on t- YouTube and it's called The Story of Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's less than five minutes. I did think about playing it this morning, but I thought it might be... Um, sort of distracting away from what we're mainly looking at but it's really quite, quite incredible and quite an interesting watch so this reference of a river may have been an allusion to the pool of Siloam and the fact that it was a saving grace for Jerusalem and we could also draw from this a lesson on how Hezekiah was prepared for troublesome times he was active about protecting one of their more valuable resources And there's probably things that we can do to be prepared for when trouble comes ourselves. But I think what the psalmist is really alluding to here is a picture of goodness and grace that flows directly from God. And this reference to a river is a metaphor, and God is the source of that river. We saw this picture in Revelations, in Revelations chapter 22, verses 1 to 2. So we have a picture of this river coming from God, bringing with it life and healing. And it talks of the blessings of God and of God's grace. There are also passages using rivers as metaphors for God's goodness and grace flowing from him in Ezekiel and Isaiah. Um, We won't look at the Ezekiel one, uh, Ezekiel 47 verses 1 to 12, 12 verses, so it's quite long. But this is what Isaiah says, in chapter 33, verses 21 to 22. There the Lord will be our mighty one. It will be like a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with oars will ride them. No mighty ship will sail them. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. So again, we have a picture of protection and salvation. Now, of course, water symbolizes something else. Water is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God and comes from God and dwells within us. So we have that reference again of God with us. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 4, verses 13 to 14. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, troubles may come and surround us, but we have the Holy Spirit within us. It's a gift from God. And when we are a child of God, his spirit is placed within us and brings us life. Now isn't that encouraging? These are things that we as Christians should know and already know. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves that it is God who is almighty and it is that almighty God who is within us and who is with us. This brings us to the challenge of verse 10. Be still and know I am God, and it's a challenge for us no matter where we are at this morning. First, it's a challenge to all of the earth be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. God is the great I am, and as such, He created the earth, He sustains it, and He is in control. Christ has triumphed over sin and evil and he will return to complete the final victory. And it doesn't matter how far mankind has advanced, what may unfold as we progress throughout history, we're still plagued by death and evil. I mean, we like to think of ourselves as enlightened and progressive, don't we? But our wisdom and our strength and our abilities and our goodness is nothing compared to the greatness of God. Be still and know that I am God. And it's also a challenge to those who don't know Christ. And I encourage you, if that's where you're at this morning, to consider the question, is God for real? Is he more than just words in a book or just a concept? My hope is that God is opening your mind and your heart to the reality that he is this almighty God that we have read about this morning. And not only is he the almighty God of the universe, but he is with his people. In fact, that is an vitally important step in following God. Christ came to earth to die for your sins so that you may be saved and so that his spirit may dwell within you. And finally, the challenge is also to us as God's people. We need to remember who our God is. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. He is our fortress, and he is the Lord Almighty, and he is with us. Let's pray. Lord, we just uh, claim all those things this morning that you spoke about, about your character and who you are in Psalm 46. Lord, you are our fortress. Lord, you are our refuge and our strength. Lord, you are our ever present help in times of trouble. Lord, this morning we just want to honour you and lift you up and praise you as a mighty and great God. And Lord, may we remember that yes, you are the, the King of the universe and and Lord, this Almighty Great God, but Lord, you are also with us and you're within us. Lord, as we enter into this week and and as we move into 2020, Lord, may we just remember and just hold on to that, that Lord, you are with us. And Lord, may we focus on that and, and foster that as well. In Jesus' name, amen.